Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Good? Nervous? I'm good. Um, today we're going to continue our series on 1 Peter, and so I would like to invite you to open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 6 through 11. And you don't, if you don't have your Bibles with you, don't worry, the words are going to appear behind me here on the screen. So 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself confirm and restore and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, for your word that is true, that speaks life, life into our hearts. May you speak to us. May we, may we gain a sense of who you are and who we are in you. That's what I ask in, in Jesus' name, amen. So Gustav Freytag was a German novelist and playwright of the 19th century. And he was very, he's mostly known because of his analysis of ancient Greek stories and also uh, Shakespearean plays. And in his analysis, he he argued or he developed an idea that a story is composed of five parts. And he called those five parts the, the exposition, the, the rising action, the climax where you have the battle between the hero and the antagonist, the falling action when the conflicts begin to be resolved, and the denouement where everything is finally resolved, the hero wins and we get to the happy ending, to the so-called and they lived happily ever after that we hear in so many stories. Now, uh, there is a TV series that I used to watch and it's still on TV called Once Upon a Time, where the, the writers, they, the story is about these fairy tale characters who live in this modern fictional society and the writer explore uh, their lives, and also in a specific uh, season, they explore their backgrounds. And it was very interesting in, in one particular moment, uh, they were exploring the background of the evil queen of Snow White. And they argued that the reason that the evil queen was evil was because in the past, she didn't get her happy ending. And there's also another character, 
later on who is like wreaking havoc in the city, uh, causing all sorts of evil. And the reason he's doing that is because he's trying with all his strength to uh, get his happy ending. So he, he has that approach of the end justifies the means or I'll do whatever it takes to get there. Now imagine, now we're gonna have to use our imagination a bit, but imagine living in a, in a society that, that's not your own, where you are a foreigner in it. For a lot of us, it's pretty easy to do. And also on top of that, having to adjust to uh, a different culture, different customs, different way people do things that we may not understand, like putting chocolate sprinkles on bread. Like, <laughs> doesn't enter my mind. And, and besides that, we can all relate to this. But, but besides that, also uh, being treated as a second-class citizen, where you don't, you don't share the same, um, the same principles and the same rights of the natural citizen. And besides that, imagine being uh, persecuted in this society, especially because of your relationship to God. Now, in this situation, you think, okay, how do I conceptualize or how do I view happy ending being placed in a society like this? Or how do I behave and live my day-to-day -day life in a society like this? So Peter's answer to us is, Humble yourselves. Now, you might think first, well, I don't get the connection between being humble and trying to make sense of living in a society like this, not getting my happy ending. How do both things fit together? But then Peter continues, and he will qualify this humbleness by saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And then you say, well, if humble ourselves already didn't make sense in light of that, now with the mighty hand of God, I have no idea what it means, both things. Well, last year we were going through this series on the book of Exodus. And we were talking about the story of the people of Israel who are living uh, as slaves in the land of Egypt, being very oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians, until the moment that God decides to call Moses to deliver the people out of captivity. And at one particular moment that God is speaking to Moses, uh, in chapter three, uh, he says, look, I know Pharaoh will not let people go unless he is compelled by my mighty hand. He says, so I will stretch out my hand and I will show all my wonders in Egypt. And then Pharaoh will let the people go. And if you keep reading the story of Exodus and the story of the people of Israel during that time, you'll see that this 
This idea of the mighty hand of God appears throughout the story. And it is an idea of deliverance, where God comes to deliver his people. Now, Peter is in this context where these people are being treated as second-class citizens. They don't have the same rights. They are being oppressed and even persecuted. And Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of the God who delivers. So the idea of humbleness is an idea of submission of authority under this God who delivers. So our, our state of mind or idea is to, is to look to who God is and what he did in the past as the God of deliverance about how do we humble ourselves. And he says, casting all your anxieties on him. Now that's not an easy one to, to do. Uh, I've heard some, some specialists say that uh, we are the generation that is living in the most peaceful of times if you look at the history of mankind. But at the same time, we are the most anxious generation. And we have all sorts of ideas as to why that is happening. But it's very interesting that Peter places the idea of anxiety in the same context of the God of deliverance. So he says, humble yourselves, submit yourselves to the God of deliverance, casting your anxieties on him. So the way we, we deal with our anxieties on one hand, is to remember and to place ourselves under the authority of this God who delivers and who did deliver the people in the past. On the other hand, he gives the reason for uh, the casting of anxieties. He says, because he cares for you, because he is right now caring for you. So to humble ourselves is to place ourselves under the authority of God who delivers, who did deliver, and who is right now caring for us because he cares for us. Now, if you would just finish here, it would be a really nice and tight message, but Peter doesn't stop here. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, and when I read this, I'm like, well, that sounds like the opposite of don't be anxious. And be sober-minded, be watchful. And why should we be sober-minded? Why should we be watchful? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That doesn't sound very relaxing <laughs> when I hear it. So, uh, a couple of years ago, Tim Keller uh, gave this message about our enemies or our adversaries. And he said that we have three types of adversaries. One is what we call our own flesh. 
which is the moment we become believers or Christians, uh, we begin this inner battle inside of us where there are some things that we shouldn't do, but we do, and there are other things that we know that we should do, but we don't do, and we live in this constant struggle between the life that we used to live before God and, and the life that we live now with him. So that is one of the enemies. The second enemy is what he calls the world. And now the world, he doesn't mean the people out there specifically, but he, mean, he means the system or the principles and values that operate in society that might be antagonistic to, to the principles and values of God. And that can have all sorts of implications for us in the way maybe our government may pass some laws that we might feel a bit uneasy about, or the way, or some topics that schools decide to teach our children, and we get a bit uneasy about that. So this system, these values that go against God. And the third enemy that he talks about is the devil, the enemy of our souls. Now the devil, uh, when we think about him, we think of, sometimes we think about this sort of ethereal being that is not really here, that operates somehow, somewhere, but we don't really know how. Uh, and there is one book in the Bible, and particularly one of my favorites is the one that I like to, I spend a lot of time studying. In the book of Revelation, uh, the devil is, at one point in chapter 12, he is described as this dragon who goes after the church and goes after Christ. And in verse 9, uh, the devil, he is characterizer, he's characterized as the deceiver of the world. So in his nature, he has this his predisposition to deceive people. And when we think about deceit, we can think about the idea that it's not explicit, it is implicit, is that it's not obvious how he's acting. Because that's the whole point of deceit, that you don't see it. Now, there is this really great book that I that I read many times by one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. And in the 1940s, he wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters. Now, in Screwtape Letters, um, there are 31 chapters, and each chapter is this letter that this senior demon called Screwtape writes to a junior demon called Wormwood, which is his nephew in the story, about how to act in the life of the believer, how to act in the life of the Christian. And at one point in, in one of the letters, um, Screwtape says to, to Wormham, he says, I know that sometimes we may feel tempted to, to show ourselves to our patient, which is the Christian in the case, and to just really scare him into submission to us. And he says, and they, that may have worked in the past, 
He says, but now we received uh, instructions from the high command, which in the case is the devil himself. He says that we should make our, uh, succeed in not making our presence known in his life and in society. Uh, he may become a skeptic or a materialist. And then we'll be able to do all sorts of things with him. So Lewis plays around with this idea that sort of like the devil is in the details or he is behind the whole system that operates these values against God that end up oppressing believers. And then uh, there is a temptation that comes because of that. Well, if he is our adversary, like the text says, or our enemy, one of the ways, may perhaps the easiest way, is to become friends. And that is certainly one of the temptations. Well, if I don't want to go against this system, all these principles and values that go against God and go against uh, the way we are to live as Christians, maybe I should just adhere to it. That will solve the problem. I, don't, I won't have any more problems with the system. And if, I, if I'm struggling inside between the things that I shouldn't do but that I do and the things that I should do but that I don't do, maybe I should just surrender to that and just do the things that I shouldn't and don't do the things that I should. That is certainly one of the temptations. But Peter proposes something different. He says, resist him. Now, how do we resist him? He says, firm in your faith. Now, to be firm in your faith the faith is this trust that we have in God. And since in, in this whole block, Peter is talking about God as being this God of deliverance and God being this God that is currently right now caring for us and taking care of us. Peter's point is that we resist the devil and the way he, he approaches us trying to deceive us by being firm in this God who delivers and who cares for us. So, humble ourselves. Now, Peter continues and he says, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So, this struggle that we have in ourselves with the system and ultimately with our adversary uh, is not something that we go through alone. It's something that is shared by the whole body of Christ. And not only the, the local church, the local body of Christ, but he says the brotherhood throughout the world. So we are all as a family going through this journey. And although that may sound a bit bleak, 
that we are sort of, it seems like we're destined to go through all these difficulties. At the same time, there is a, the beauty that we don't have to go through it alone. And that's the problem that we have in society sometimes. We, we hear about statistics in, in Amsterdam of people being alone all the time and the feeling of alone and of being depressed. And that's one thing that's very different from us as believers is that we don't have to go through this alone. We have a family, and not only the local family, but the whole family of Christ throughout the world. And we share in this, uh, these struggles, we share this bond together because we, uh, we all depend on the God of deliverance and the God who cares for us. So, we should humble ourselves. And then Peter says, and after you have suffered for a while, for a little while, and then you may think, well, a little while, it's a bit, my whole life doesn't feel like a little while, it feels a bit longer. He says, well, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace. And here, Peter is linking to verse five, the, the citation, the quotation that he gave on verse five when he was talking about with the elders and the young people about how they should behave in the community. And he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So this little while our sufferings here as a family against ourselves, against the world, and ultimately against uh, our enemy is, is framed in this context of grace. So our God is not only a God who delivers and we can look to the past to see the way he delivered his people, and our God is not only a God who cares for us right now and is currently caring for us right now. He's also a God of grace. And, and, and in that quotation, you can see he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So you have this opposition between opposition and grace. So while we have an enemy, uh, an adversary that is coming against us, opposing us, we have a God of deliverance, of care, and of grace who is for us. So, we should humble ourselves. And the God of all grace, who chose us for his eternal glory in Christ, and here, Peter invites us to gain a bigger perspective of what he means by little suffering, by making an opposition to eternal glory. So we look at, at our present suffering, and Peter says, it's a little suffering, a little while. And you say, why it's a little while? Because besides him being a God of deliverance, besides him being the God that cares for us, Besides him being the God of grace who is for us, uh, he is beside us, 
He is a God that will transform the little into eternal and the suffering into glory. So that's our God. So humble ourselves. Now, Freytag had that idea of the story being divided into five parts and uh, the end of the story would be the resolution of the conflict and the achievement of the happy ending. And we have in the first verse, on verse six, Peter saying, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. So our journey in life, in this life that goes through suffering and struggles and anxiety is rooted in this hope, in this hope of exaltation, that he will exalt us. So we have this hope. Before we go through this journey, we have to remember that we have this hope. And then he ends the passage by saying, and and God himself will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. So the life of the Christian is framed between the hope of exaltation and the assurance that he gives of salvation. And so I remember going back to the, to the stories where the hero, he goes through this journey, going through all kinds of problems and difficulties, not knowing what he will get in the end, and then uh, eventually he gets to his happy ending. But Peter is saying, our story is different. It's not like that. Because we are not characters in a story that don't know the outcome. We begin our story. Our story, our lives are framed between hope and assurance. So our God is a God who delivers. He's a God who cares for us. He's a God of all grace who is by our side. He's a God who will switch between little suffering to eternal glory. And he frames our lives between hope of exaltation and assurance of salvation. That's the God we serve. And Peter ends, to him be the dominion and power and authority forever and ever. Amen.